It just is what it is. And we're in Christmas. We're in the Christmas season. And, um, you know, a lot of times in years past, I've, I've received a lot of help, an enormous amount of help for, from our uh, series that we've done in Christmas. Um, we did Duck the Halls. Y'all remember that? We did everything like like. Duck Dynasty, thank you very much. We did that particular series just for Rocky Wood. That whole series was just for Brother Rocky. But um, uh, so we got a lot of help, a lot of help. There was a lot of brain power from all of the pastors that went into that. Um, Elf, y'all remember Elf? Well, that goes back away. We lot a lot of um, brain power. Um, the Grinch, an enormous amount of brain power went into the Grinch. Um, and, and as a pastoral team, we just, we, we functioned that. It was probably, I would say probably October that um, I was already thinking personally, just as lead pastor, thinking about the Christmas series. And, and I don't know what, what settled in me, but I just, um, I just decided that I wanted to do joy to the world. And then I, I literally wanted to do joy to the world, all right? And, <laughs> and then I got an I got invitation. I, I needed to go speak at Siloam last week that put um, Pastor Trent in the saddle for the word to. <clears throat> now, when I, when he, thank you. I know he did. I mean, uh, when, I, when I sat down with... Trent and 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 said, "Look, the series is going to be joy to the world." The, his immediate response was this: "Oh, great! So if I'm preaching the sec, second week, then you do joy to the world, and and I'll do the Lord has come." Because see, that's the way most normal people think. That if we're doing a series on joy to the world, that we would do one week on joy to the world, the next week on the Lord has come, the next week let earth receive, and the next week her king. See, don't that make a lot more sense than what I'm doing? No, that my way is the best way. My way is the best way. Because <laughs> and so I looked at Pastor Trent, and I went, no, that's not what I want to do. And he went, he went oh, well, what, what did you have in mind? I said, well, joy to the world. And he went, so you want me to preach on the word too? I went, yeah, congratulations, welcome to the team. And so, and so I, I had the opportunity this week to listen to the podcast. How many of you have been listening to the podcast? You enjoyed going back over that. That's an awesome opportunity. I had the opportunity to listen to the podcast, and, and, and Pastor Trent and I, we um, talked a little about that and... and, and um, he did a fantastic job last week covering the word too. He really did. I mean, uh, matter of fact, I enjoyed listening to it so much the first time I listened to it twice. And uh, really uh, got a lot out of the things he had to say that how the Lord came to us is really um, a remarkable thing, isn't it? And I cannot uh, get away from uh, his statement that the creator was babyfied. I love it when we make up words around here. I love that. It's such a part of what we do is make up words. And, and, and the creator became babyfied. He came to us in this way, in this very servant way. 
Not in a royal way, but in a very servant way. He came lowly. Uh, you know, uh, away in the manger fied. You know, if fied. You know, baby crying in a manger if fied. I think it's what Pastor Trent said. Uh, not, not a usual way that royalty would come. Not a usual way. Why? Because, because there was a relation to us. He had to relate to us. He had to come as one of us. You know. So this is how he came, that, that we have joy. We talked about joy the first week, that the joy of Christmas comes from the revelation of Christ among us, and then he came to us in a very relatable way, in a very lowly way, in a way to give himself for us. And, and what, a, what a dynamic sacrifice that is, and what an amazing thing the incarnation is. Certainly Christmas is about the incarnation, but then I am tasked today to speak on the word thee. And I gave myself that assignment. That what does the word thee have to do with the Christmas season? Well, I want to draw your attention again to key verses for, for, my, uh, for my part in this. In Luke chapter 2 verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a glorified feed trough, lying in a manger. The good news that causes great joy for all people is that a Savior has been born to you. Has been born to you. You have the reception of this incarnate. You have the reception of this one who is Savior. But then he, then he says these words that that he is the, he is the Messiah. He is the Lord and, and the Messiah, the Lord, has been born to you. And see, that's what makes Christmas and, and, and that's what makes Christianity everything it is. That our faith is not in one of several options. Now, that's probably considered politically incorrect in our today's society. That's not going to float in everybody's boat. That's not going to make everybody happy for me 
to proclaim today that we are exclusionary when it comes to who is Lord and who is Messiah. That we draw an exception. But there is absolutely no other way to read the Word of God. The Word of God is extremely plain when it comes to our way of salvation. That we are not here today celebrating one of several options. Well, if you want to choose our spoke on the wheel, then that's fine. But there are 53 other spokes on the same wheel, and all of the spokes lead to the same hub. So just believe what you want to believe. Call God what you want to call Him. Go where you want to go and do what you want to do. And there are people who even call themselves Christian that, that think that way. Yet, the Word of God very plainly says to you that today is born a Savior who is distinguished among all the others. That He is the, come on now, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Lord. Now, I don't have time to trot through all of the verses that I could use here today for proof text. But I will tell you that Jesus Christ himself affirmed this when he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, no one comes to the Father except by me. I am the door, he said, to the Father. That if you want to get there, you've got to go through me. And then we read verses such as, there is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. We understand that and we read this in the Word of God that the Bible we read and that we pull our Christianity from does not declare that Jesus Christ is one of several. It does not say that He is one of many. It declares to us that He is one of a kind. That there is no other baby that has been born that can fulfill what this baby is going to fulfill. That there is no other Lord that can bring about the kingdom royalty to the world that is declared to be the kingdom of God. That there is no other Savior that we can go to and find salvation. That there is no other way to God but by the way called Jesus Christ and He is the Messiah. Okay, that's not, well, I know uh, it's popular among some of us. Hallelujah. See, you cannot think of Jesus Christ in the context of mere humanity. He was more than an anointed teacher. There's major religions in the world today that would say, well, we believe that Jesus lived, but we don't believe that he was God incarnate. We don't believe that he was the son of God or God the son. We, we don't believe that, that, um, that he had that distinction. He was a mere human who was anointed to teach and do good things. And so there's, he just placed him, in a, placed him in a category. I like Mark 8, and, and these verses are very powerful Jesus and his disciples, verse 27 of, of, of Mark 8. Jesus 
and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? This is, this is a... This is a revelatory moment. A revelatory moment that's about to take place among this group of disciples because, I mean, if you really look at the story of the disciples, even at the end, they were still questioning exactly what all of this meant and exactly who. Who is Jesus? What, 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 how, how do you fit all this together? When Jesus called them and said, come follow me, they, they didn't have the concept of, of Son of God. They, they didn't have the concept of God incarnate. They didn't understand that. And, and, and so for, for a long time, and even... Even not fully satisfied, even at at the point of his death, even not fully satisfied. I mean, Jesus had expounded them on the scripture. He had expounded me. He he declared himself to them on more than one occasion. But yet, but yet after, after the crucifixion, there was resurrection, and after resurrection, Jesus walked among them and as he was walking among them, the Bible says he opened their eyes and explained to them all these things. And only then did they fully grasp the reality of who it was that they were following all of this time. I mean, they really didn't get it. Even the Bible says to us, they, you know, I mean, if it was going to be translated in an, you know, like an East Texas vernacular was said, and Jesus said that I am he, and they didn't get it. It didn't, it didn't register in their mind who it was that they were following. I, I'm sure that they fully understood that he was a great teacher, an anointed teacher. I'm, I'm sure that there was some measure of faith in his, in his abilities. As a matter of fact, when he calmed the storm, you remember the story when he calmed the storm? The, the, the Bible says they were greatly terrified. They were more afraid of the miracle than they were of the storm, and then they said one to another, Who is this man that even the wind and sea obey him? They're still wrestling in their mind with this concept. They just they just didn't get it. In this revelatory moment in Mark chapter 8, Jesus, here is a here is a teaching moment, a moment of revelation. And and, and mind you, listen. A moment of revelation that didn't still yet didn't fully didn't fully stick. All right. This is not in my notes, but it's in my heart. I think that's why we have to be patient with people when they come to church and they're in the process of becoming a disciple. That's why we have to be patient with ourselves. How many of you recognize a lot of times we're harder on ourselves than we hard on than we are on other people? We're harder on this. We have to be patient. You know, sometimes people, you know, they, oh, well, okay, now I'm going to go to meddling, so I need to quit. Because, you know, even the disciples, even the original disciples who were walking with Jesus and seeing all this happen, even they, it took a long time for some things to stick. Sometimes we get frustrated with people. You might get frustrated with your, 
you're with your kids or your friends, or you might get frustrated with yourself and think, man, you ought to know better by now. Maybe. Or maybe you're just still in process. I tell people all the time, just stay in process. As long as you stay in process, you're going to be okay. You know, it's when you quit. Okay, I might as well meddle here for about three more minutes. Talking to a financial advisor. My, my wife's brother is a financial guy. And we're talking one day about investing in the stock market. And, you know, I mean, you have seen times in the stock market that it has gone spiraled down and people have lost, people have lost all kind of money investing in the, in the stock market. But he said, he said the reality of it is this, that it has this, it has this history of success. It has this long line of history of success, even though there are times in history that it dips down, then it comes back up, and it might dip a little, and then it comes. And he says it fluctuates, yes, but he says, he said, I have discovered something about investing in that, in, in that realm. He said the secret to, to building wealth in that realm is to not sell when things are bad. He said because it's probably going to come back up. And you don't really lose anything until you sell. Well, you know. I think about that in people's walk with with the Lord. Sometimes there's dips and sometimes there's downturns. Sometimes there's upturns. And our walk with God sometimes, and even our faith, you know, you go through... You go through something, it might cause a dip in your faith market. You go through something. You say, you know what, I've seen people that, that man, they go through tremendous dips in their life. Maybe a, maybe a, 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 maybe a diagnosis that is un, you know, unfavorable. I didn't want to hear that word. Maybe the loss of relationships or some tragic loss in their life and you see their faith market take a dip and I've discovered something about those who have longevity that those who just you you think man they're a hero of faith I wish I had the kind of faith they do and you probably do it's the secret is that they didn't sell out when things went south they didn't sell you know we got a dip it's just a dip. We're coming out of this. I'm not going to cash in right here in the low spot. I'm not going to cash in. Why? Because if I cash in, I'm going to lose. Maybe that's a word to somebody in the house today. These disciples could have been very down on themselves. Because Jesus had reiterated things to them. He had told them things about it. And yet it didn't stick. I mean, even after his resurrection, they were still asking questions about the kingdom of God being seated in Jerusalem as it were an empire to combat the Romans. And I mean, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, Jesus just kind of marvelous said, you know what, it's not even your business, the time, and just don't even think about that stuff. Just go wait in Jerusalem until you are receiving receiving power, Mona. 
worry about that. It still didn't stick. I mean, here they are sitting with the resurrected Messiah, and they still didn't understand that the kingdom of God had absolutely nothing to do with politics. That the kingdom of God had everything to do with spiritual and supernatural regeneration, and not nation of Israel regeneration. Jesus is walking with them in this moment. I hope that word helps somebody. Help somebody just say, don't, don't quit. Just don't quit. Everything's going to be all right. And be patient with yourself and with one another. Be patient with yourself and one another. You're in process. Everyone who stays in process wins. Jesus asked them in in the 27th verse of Mark 8, Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? And, And this was probably pretty easy for them to answer. It says they replied. So they all started chattering, you know. They replied. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked this very pointed question, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And in, in this moment, it doesn't say they. In this moment, it only said Peter answered. Not they, just Peter answered, you are The Messiah. The disciples together collectively answered the question, Who do people say I am? And there was honest assessment from the crowds. Some say you're a resurrected John the Baptist. Some say you're a resurrected Elijah. Some others say that you are counted among the prophets. That's one of the prophets. But then Jesus rocks their world by asking them, Who do you say I am? And in this moment, Peter declared, You are the Messiah. King James, New King James translations, you recognize this verse as you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now I want you to, and this is this is dangerous territory. For any preacher that ever took a Greek class with Dr. Jeffrey Lamp. And I will tell you why. That while Dr. Jeffrey Lamp at Oral Roberts University was taking us through the Greek uh, 1 and 2 track that we did back then. He declared to all of us speaking pastors that... We should never give a Greek lesson in our sermon because if we did and he was there, he would jump up and scream, this man does not know what he's talking about. I think his word there was is that it can bog you down in definitions and in words and all that. Just give the essence of what it says. But I think that there's some things that we need to pay 
close attention to stuff that unless you study the Greek language, you, you, don't, you don't even know this. Okay? So for the next one minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem all of the value of a, of a Master's of Divinity degree. To inform you of something in the Greek that you probably did not know. I didn't know it until I took, until I took that class. That, that the declaration here, you are the Messiah. This declaration centers on a noun and a definite article. Now, I'm not an English major either, so this really makes it difficult. But for us, the definite article translates the, but in the Greek language, the definite article is ha. It looks like an O with a breath mark behind it. It's ha Christos or Christos, okay, so the Christ is the way you would transliterate that in, in English um, letters, but, but, um, but Christos actually means Messiah or anointed, all right? Are y'all, are y'all with me so far, or did I leave you, at, leave you at ha, okay? So it's ha Christos, okay? The, ha is definite article, the, ha Christos is Christ, transliterated, but it means Messiah or anointed. Are you following me? All right. I put this on the screen so that you can learn Greek even better. In the Greek language, emphasis is placed when a definite article, that is the English language, is placed before a noun. Mark, listen closely. Mark could have written Christos without a definite article. You are anointed. But he didn't write just anointed. When he wrote, he made this emphasis that clearly Peter had intended. That he made this emphasis. Who do people say I am? Well, people say you are an anointed. You are one of the anointeds. Some say you're like an anointed John the Baptist. And others say you are like an anointed Elijah. And others say that you're an anointed like one of the prophets. But then Jesus turned and said, who do you say that I am? And what you learn in the Greek language is that in this instance, the definite article translated the in front of the singular noun is the monadic form meaning one of a kind. That he didn't say you are Christos. He said you are ha Christos, which means that you are the anointed. You are the one-of-a-kind anointed. You are the unique anointed. We say you are the Messiah. That there's not two Messiahs. There's not three Messiahs. When Jesus turned and asked them, who do you say that I am? The word came back to him. You are the Messiah. There is not another one like you. There's not another one in the world ever been born like you. There's never going to be another like you. You are one of a kind. 
well, praise God, I got to try to quit all that or I will not have a voice for the next service. The anointed. It is the clear distinction that Jesus is indeed the anointed of God, which gives him the distinct and unique office of Messiah and not simply a reference concerning anyone else who may have been anointed with holy oil or anyone else who may have been anointed with the presence of God. I'm telling you right now, I'm feeling anointed right now, but I am not the anointed. There is only one, the anointed, and his name is Jesus Christ. No other can Colossians 2 and 9 be written about. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. We stand today with a shout in our heart, understanding that we do not serve one of many. We serve a one of a kind. Jesus came as the Messiah. I love what the ancient creeds have to say about this only God incarnate. This the anointed, this the Messiah. He was fully God having the fullness of the Godhead resting in him. Jesus Christ was and is 100% God in his deity. While at the same time, He was fully human, completely subject to the human condition, but remained sinless. He hungered, he slept, he grew tired. He was limited in physical parameters, was tempted and such. Jesus Christ, while being 100% God, was 100% man. One of the greatest mysteries of all time. But yet we have the opportunity today to step back and simply know that he is Ha Christo. He is the Messiah. And so what are we doing? People spend their lives searching. Wise men. That's that you know that story. Wise men. Somebody somebody said one time using the story of the wise men in the birth and childhood narrative of Jesus Christ. You know, the three wise men came following a star. They came bringing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We sing, we three kings of Orient are bearing griffs, we've traveled so far. They stopped by Herod and said, have you heard of this? And we're asking questions and they were seeking. Somebody used a pun off that and said, wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. So what are we doing? 
I will say this, and I believe that it is true, that he is the only one. That there is no other way to heaven. There's no other way for salvation. There's no other way to God but by Jesus Christ the door. Then what are we doing? If we believe that he is the one and only, that he is the Christ, ah, Christo, it all satisfies the question sent to Jesus by John the Baptist in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 2 and 3, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? i tell you what we're doing right now. We're not expecting anyone else. We're standing today with joy to the world. The joy Rest in the fact that he came to us in a way we could relate to as the one and only. So whatever you're, whatever you're searching for in your life right now, whatever you are searching for, whether it be salvation or whether it be joy, whether it be peace or whether it be healing or deliverance, whatever it may be, whatever you're searching for in your life, I think we have, to, we have to satisfy the question that was asked by John's disciples. Are you really the one or should we expect another? Today, we expect no one else. We satisfy the question by saying Jesus Christ is the one. So whatever you're looking for, there's only one place to go. There's only one place to find it. Wise men still seek him. And today, we're bringing, it's not gold, frankincense, and myrrh. (laughs) Old Testament prophecy said that he would give us beauty for ashes. Oh, my. I'm just bringing him what's left. I'm bringing him the residue of a burned-out thing. I'm bringing him what's left. And he says, that's enough. I don't need gold. I got a city whose streets are paved with gold. I don't need gold. I don't need precious ointment. I've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't need that. I don't need all of that. All I need is what you've got. If you'll just bring me what you have, I'll give you what I have. And today, we just come expecting only from Him. Do you need joy? Are you expecting it from another? Or are you trusting today in the Messiah, in Ha Christo, this is the one and only You can't find it anywhere else. Oh, praise God. Would you stand with me? Ah, I feel the shudder of the Holy Spirit in this house right now.